1209. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A lot of ground to cover on today's program. We're going to be talking to uh, U.S. Senator Ron Johnson about 210 this afternoon. We're going to talk to him about tax reform and about Roy Moore. As Eric was mentioning, there is this story in Politico that just came out in the last 30 minutes or so um, that says that it, it appears to be an extensively vetted story saying that Paul Ryan has been telling people close to him that this is going to be it, that he's going to be retiring from Congress in 2018 and gives a lot of different reasons for it. I, I have learned with uh, with Paul, who I have known for a long time. Like I said, I was uh, I can remember appearing at a fundraiser for him back when he was first running um, for Congress in the mid to late 1990s, I guess 98 or would have been when that was 97, 98. Um, I and, and I just I think he's always had this amazing talent. He's really the smartest guy in the room, as I was saying a couple minutes ago. But he doesn't carry himself as the smartest guy in the room, and that's that's tough for politicians to do. That's a real admirable trait, and um, he, he's had a very very interesting career. And the, the political report is essentially that. He's frustrated with the stuff that's going on in Washington and feels um, essentially like in some cases that, you know, my description of his job is is herding cats. You know, you've got all these different individual members all with their own agenda and some of whom have this agenda that requires them to just be completely and totally unwilling to compromise. So anything you do to try to get a deal done, well, that's viewed as a sign of weakness. And um, there's about 35 members of this Freedom Caucus that have been, they were a thorn in the side of the former speaker. I think they've kind of been a thorn in Ryan's side as well. My only comment on this is, with all due respect to the political article, and again, it seems to be very well sourced, my experience with Paul Ryan has been um, you, you kind of Wait till here you hear what he has to say because I don't think anybody really knows Paul's mind um, when it comes to you know different career moves. But uh, I will tell you, if he decides to step down, that will be a loss because he's been an absolutely outstanding congressman for this district. Um, and I, I just I, I'd hate to see him go because he's one of the good guys. But at the same time, I understand perhaps as well as anybody, that life is, in fact, short. And he's 48 years old. His dad died at 55. And I think he's sitting there thinking, okay, I've been in Congress for the last 20 years. Is this all there is? And, you know, you've got a family and kids are getting older. And let's face it, being a congressman, there's a lot of perks to that. and, and, And it's cool. But it's a heck of a lot of work. I mean, you're you're travel. You're constantly on planes. You know, you're constantly traveling. Or you spend almost every weekend. You know, back in the district, in your district. And when you're back in your district, well, you know, it's not like you're just putting your feet up. Typically, you're out at events. Paul Ryan maintains a very, very active schedule, doing town halls, going to events. So it's not like you really have any time that is your own. And when you are the Speaker of the House. You're not just worried about raising money for yourself or being in your district. You're also on those rare off days. You're traveling all over trying to raise money for other people. I, I've just, again, Paul and I are friends. I, I just know sometimes when I'm trying to get him on the program or trying to see, hey, are you available to attend or do this kind of event? It's always this this major scheduling thing because there are so very many demands. So, I mean, I certainly understand if you reach a certain point, you're approaching 50 years old, um, you start thinking, okay, you know, where is life going? I would not be shocked by this. But, again, I would caution people, wait 
until you actually hear from Paul Ryan as to what you decide and where you think his future is going to be. Okay, we start off the show like we start off every show, three big things. I'm going to take a very quick break. When we come back, I want to tell the story of my experience trying to get home last night on the Devil's Highway, and it segues into something that I know you might not agree with me on, but I continue to believe that I am correct. Stick around. It's 1213. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1216, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. You can now listen to WTMJ on your Amazon device from news and weather updates, the latest out of Lambeau, your favorite show's podcast, and much more. It's now available with the simple phrase, Alexa, open WTMJ. For more information and easy setup instructions, simply text the word Alexa, that's A-L-E-X-A, to 414-799-1620, or go online to WTMJ.com. Uh, we do not go quietly into the good weekend on this program. Matter of fact, I, I only got two shows for the rest of the year, today and tomorrow, and then um, my habit has been, courtesy of the good folks at Scripps, who give me enough vacation time to do this, I'm taking the next two weeks off, so a lot of ground to cover. Last night, all right, it, we didn't get that much snow, but it was crummy. I, I was actually surprised at how crummy the roads are. Now, I think if you're a regular listener to this program, you know, right now, I'm kind of got a lot of stuff going on in my life. I've got, you know, that the house that I lived in for 30 years, where it's, you know, getting ready to be put on the market and we got workers there so i'm not staying there um a house that my wife and i purchased in ozaki county not ready to move into yet the carpet just got put in it was painted furniture's being delivered and stuff but it's not quite ready to live in so i'm living in west bend all right i love west bend i love west bend but this means after most of my life most of the last 30 years certainly the last 20 years here working at tmj i've had a five or ten minute commute Now I've got a 30- or 40-minute commute, but that's okay. I don't mind driving. So last night, get done with work, and, of course, it's it's snowing, not a lot, but it's snowing a little bit. And what happens is I I make the rounds. I I had some stuff to do after work. We were taping part of the Christmas special. Gru and I were putting that together. And so then I I go to the house in the North Shore. I check that out. Then I go to the house in Mequon. I check that out, and then I, I go home to West Bend. Now, the roads... Like I say, it, it was snowing, and the, the roads weren't great, but it, it's, it's been a lot worse. Okay, So on the freeway, I, I think most people were driving 45 or 50 miles an hour, not 70. It was, it was a fair sort of road. All right, now, there's different ways that I can get from here to West Bend, but the way I most commonly go is 43 north to Sockville, and then I go across State Highway 33, which I call the Devil's Highway. You go across State Highway 33 till you get to West Bend. It is 11 miles from Sockville to West Bend. It is a two-lane state highway, one road going each way. And in the best of circumstances, you really can't pass very much because there's a lot of twists and turns and you're going up and down hills and stuff. So even in the best scenario, there's not that many opportunities to pass. All right. So I am not exaggerating. I get off the freeway in Sockville. It's 11 miles. Normally, I do it in about 15 minutes. It took me an hour and five minutes to go from West go from Sockville to West Bend, All right? And and so here here's the story of what happens. Now again, it, it's snowing a little bit, so the roads weren't great. It's a, most of the way it's fifty fifty five miles an hour. That would have probably been a little too fast, but forty miles an hour would have been just absolutely fine. It, it's like a procession. There is this incredible range of cars. I. I we never got faster than 18, but most of the time we were driving like 12 miles an hour. And I'm trying to figure out why this is, because the cars that are coming east are moving 
you know, 40, 45, 50 miles an hour. So it's not the roads. I mean, these cars are moving fast, but I am in this, this, it's, it's crawling. It's like you're in a funeral procession. And it's going so slow that there's trucks. And I'm kind of watching some of these trucks. They're, you know, to go up hills, you need to have, especially in a truck, you need to have a certain amount of momentum. Well, they're, they're having trouble getting the momentum because we're all going so slow. And I'm trying to figure out what, what is going on here. And I admit, I'm getting a little bit more and more frustrated as this is going on because I, I, I appreciate you want to be safe, but you could be driving faster than 10 or 15 miles an hour. So as we are proceeding west, I start to move in this convoy. It really, it's like a convoy. You know, it's like you're, you're heading into Baghdad, you know, in, in this, this convoy. And, and as, as we start to get closer to West Bend, you know, more and more cars are kind of peeling off, going to wherever they're going to between Saukville and West Bend. And I'm starting to get closer to the front of the convoy to the point that I, I come over this hill and I can see the front of this because I, I see, like, ahead, there's just like this wide open space. But I can't get to the wide open space because there's seven cars or eight cars in front of me. Well, I see what's going on. There is one car that, honest to God, is driving 10 to 15 miles an hour. One car. And, of course, nobody can get past this one car because it's the Devil's Highway. It's a single-lane road, a two-lane highway. But you really can't pass safely there. So we, we finally, finally, and it's, it's over an hour um, we finally get to like where West Bend, West Bend proper, and then the Devil's Highway spins out into like two lanes, and so everybody's going around, and they're they're passing this car that is going ten miles an hour. So I get to go past the car that's going ten miles an hour, and I'm curious, and I look, and it's a little old man who is. Honest to God, looking kind of through the steering wheel, who's driving 10 miles an hour, who has traffic backed up for, well, he had traffic backed up for an hour, driving 10 or 15 miles an hour. All right, so I get home, and I admit I'm a little bit frustrated. This is one where you, you, you know, as soon as you get in the door, take the dog out, and then trying to calm down. You don't go for the beer. You go straight for the bourbon. I mean, there's, you know, <laughs> this is me and Mr. Jack Daniels just sitting down about this. And so my wife comes home later on. She was at work, and I'm telling her the story about the trip on the Devil's Highway and all. And, and I say, and it's this little old man. And she said, well, Jeff, you shouldn't be so so hard on, on the guy because he he obviously – you know, was uncomfortable driving in this kind of weather, and so that's why he was driving that way. And, you know, you need to be more patient. And I said, well, well first of all, hon, you know, patience, that, that's like the, the guy that, that's waiting to take off on the airplane who really has to go to use the restroom, and everybody says, well, just be patient. It's easy to say that unless you're that guy on the plane that's really got to go. I said, okay, in, in fairness, you weren't the one that was on this road for an hour, you know, waiting to crawl in there. And I said, but secondly, I understand that, that, that the man obviously did not feel safe on the road in these kind of conditions. But then my point is, he shouldn't have been on the road in those kind of conditions. I mean, if if you and I'm not talking about having to go 50 or 55 miles an hour, but we were going 10 miles an hour when everybody else could have been safely driving 30 or 40. But but you were talking about there must have been 100 cars that were in. It was like a a convoy, like I say, moving very slowly, which brings me 
to a, a point that it was interesting because today somebody actually forwarded me a story that appeared on today's TMJ4 talking about how drivers 65 and older hits a record high. And uh, apparently the U.S. Department of Transportation, they say that the number of drivers licensed who are 65 or older just hit 41.7 million people. And, and the numbers, because we are living longer and you've got all us baby boomers who are going to be pushing 65 at some time in the next, if we haven't hit it already, in the next five or ten years or whatever, that number is going to be going up and going up. Well, I, I want to be real clear here because this is something I have been talking about for years. But it came home, hit home again yesterday. I would never, ever, ever, ever suggest that there be an age cutoff when after which somebody could not drive. I would never, ever suggest that. I do, however, firmly believe that, firmly believe that after a certain point, after a certain age, there needs to be more scrutiny of somebody's license. In Wisconsin, Drew, you might not know this, but you can, you renew your driver's license, and then it's eight years until you have to go in and actually appear at a DMV, unless you're involved in an accident or something. Well, the difference, you know, as we age, the difference between, I don't know, somebody's skills at, say, 75 and 83 could dramatically change. But unless you're involved in an automobile accident, or unless, uh, again, unless your doctor alerts somebody, you're going to still keep your license. I went through this with my mom and my dad. My mom, who passed away in 2010, knew that it was time for her to give up her license. Once she got sick in 2008, she stopped driving. My father, well, it was a different story, and it was a, it was a struggle. But there was no doubt in my mind that if he had to go to the DMV and try to get his license renewed, it wasn't going to work. He, he just he, – he, he just – he shouldn't have been driving, and at the end, we kind of, after many, many struggles and fights, we got him to at least agree that he wasn't going to drive, and I don't think he did. But I, I was watching this. This guy last night should not have been on the roads. He was arguably a hazard to himself, and he, he managed to stall traffic for the, the better part of an hour because he didn't feel comfortable driving more than 10 miles an hour you know, in, in moderate snow. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I understand that because older people, and I'm starting to include myself in that, are a huge voting block, you know, you're never going to have politicians, Republicans or Democrats, who are going to want to consider things like this. But I firmly, firmly, firmly believe that after a certain age, and again, I don't know what that age would be, that you should have extra scrutiny of the license. In other words, you know, maybe extra vision testing, maybe extra hearing testing, maybe even road testing for people beyond a certain age. And for people who are saying, well, that's not fair, it's discriminatory. Well, we have, you know, when it comes to young drivers, we have graduated licenses. All right, let's tee this up. 414-799-1620. Should we, should we perhaps... Say, all right, you know, after a certain age, additional testing before you keep your license. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Is that an ad for MSNBC? MSNBC running ads? Huh. 414-799-1620. Let's start with Kathy in Bayside. Kathy, good afternoon. 
Good afternoon, Jeff. How are you today? I am well, thank you. Uh, I'm well. Good. Just want to let share that my father, who's 88 years old um, and still insisting on driving, bless his heart, he was a traveling salesman for years and very proud, had some, some neurological testing done, and the doctor came right out and said, you can't drive anymore. And that's what it took for us, despite a year or so of pleading with him not to drive, yeah. for him to stop. Yeah, so for, for that year, you knew your dad shouldn't have been behind the wheel of the car, but he just refused to give up his license. Absolutely. We tried to keep him off the interstates, you know, just to do the neighborhood driving, but that didn't work either. Yeah, and of course, and, and see, and this is one of the things that's frustrating because I think a, a lot of people, Kathy, are in the situation that you and I were in, and and it's this battle that you end up fighting, and you're the bad guy, and it's this, and it, it's the kid, you know, you're the kid, you're you're trying to do, you, you don't want to see something bad happen to your dad, you don't want to see something your dad do something bad that hurts other people, and it, it's like you feel like you're on this little island fighting this battle because they've got the license, and there's nothing you can do to get the license revoked unless the doctor unless the doctor intervenes. Right, and I think the expiration date was still 10 years out. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't get why, why we don't do anything with that, and my only advice to people in my situation is seek medical. There's tests out there for this type of thing, and makes the whole situation a lot easier. Right. No. No. Thanks for calling. I mean, here. Here. I mean, I, I, my dad and I. We. You know. And, and I. I get it. Fathers and sons and those type of things. But you know, he would complain. He passed away in 2015. You know. But but he would for the last few years complain about how how terrible he felt and how he had clouded thinking and he couldn't hear and he couldn't see that well. And I would say, okay, Dad, you shouldn't be driving. And he'd say, whoa. <laughs> Honest to God, that his, his demeanor would completely change. No, the, the only time I feel good is when I'm behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just. And I said, I've, I've just listened to you for 15 minutes complain about how you can't hear, you can't see, you feel terrible, your mind is clouded, but you're telling me you can get behind the wheel of a car. Yes, that's the time I feel great. And it was just this ongoing battle for my brother and I. And uh, again... <sighs> And then it was the same sort of situation because he had renewed his life. I think he had like four or five years left on his driver's license. Now, ultimately, I, I think he w- was gradually able. He, he just stopped driving. I think what ultimately happened is the, the battery on the car, he hadn't used it for a while, and the battery on the car died, and, you know, we, 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 didn't, we didn't have it fixed. That's kind of what happened. But, I mean, this is this battle that people fight because, I mean, and I understand. And all I am saying is that, you know, at a certain age, and I know this is going to happen to all of us, at a certain age, you know, maybe just some added testing. I had a friend who passed away last year at the age of 90. He, 91, I think. He was as sharp at 91, you know, as most people are at 45. He, you know, and, and there was no worry about Jim ever driving. He, he did a great, you know, it, was, it would have been fine. He would have been able to pass that test. But the reality is, I mean, my guess is, if I'm fortunate enough to make 90, um, my reflexes, my eyesight, my hearing is not going to be as good as it was at 60 because my reflexes, sight, and hearing aren't as good at 60 as they are at 30 or were at 30. Clint in Bayview. Clint, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, John. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Yeah, I uh, completely agree with you, but I'd even take it further. I uh, am a traveling salesman myself. I put on about 30,000 miles a year, um, and I've seen people of all ages just, making the most dangerous decisions. Right. I mean, there have been times where I, like, pull off to a gas station and think, oh, my goodness, I, I think I literally almost died today. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. Know, it is just crazy. I would support, you know, once folks 
get their license, I would support every five years you have to be detested because it's right. all ages that I've seen. It's, it's unbelievable what people will do sometimes. Well, right, and I guess, see, I think there's a, a couple different categories of bad driving. One is... There, there's a lot of distracted drivers out there, uh, you know, you, and, and that, that's a lot, with a lot of young people. And I mean, I, whenever I talk about this, I, I have I have people saying, well, don't you realize that, you know, you got these young people, they're speeding and they're texting and they're on cell phones or whatever. And, and I get that. that That's a category of, of bad driving in and of itself. I guess I'm concerned with that category of bad driving that occurs simply because, people's reflexes deteriorate they can't hear they can't turn their heads they can't see as well that's that's a different category of of sort of potential bad driving that you could maybe address if you had to have more road tests or something like that and if you can pass the road test what shouldn't be a big deal i don't think yeah you know and i understand you know the folks of a certain age who might feel offended by that but to me, it's not even a, an issue of the impatience, which I will freely admit sometimes I'm very impatient with people, but it, it's really a safety thing. And when you're at a certain age, you know, it, it, it would keep them safer as well as everybody around them. Right, and it would make it easier. I mean, thanks for calling. Just like, just like Kathy was talking about earlier, it would, it would make it easier for, for kids because this is, like I say, I mean, I, I went through this. I, I lived this. My mom, when she got sick, um, two years before she passed away, my mom knew that she wasn't able to drive anymore. And so it, it wasn't a big deal. She just, she gave us the car keys. I mean, that, she said, sell the car. You know, sell, sell the car. Here's the car keys. I, I'm not able to drive anymore. And, and she, she did it. That was, that was not a problem at all. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mom. I appreciate it. You know, again, it was different for my father, and I understand, you know, and, and look, I, I understand. I got my driver's license the day I turned 16, and I remember that freedom of the first time you have the car and you're driving around. I, I get all that, and I am not trying to take people's driver's licenses away. I'm not, unless... Just like you wouldn't have given me a driver's license, or you shouldn't have, if I couldn't have passed the tests when I first went down when I was 16, if you can't pass the tests at, at any age, well, you, you shouldn't, you know, be on on the road. Let's talk to Angie in Milwaukee. Angie, you're on WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Angie. How are you? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, so I'm 46 years old, and I just went to get my driver's license renewed about a week ago. And I walk with a cane, and I've walked with a cane for 12 years, and I've had MS for 23 years. Mm-hmm. And I was told that they would not give me a driver's license until I got a medical release from, from my doctor. Really? Because I walked with a cane. Huh. I've never and heard I argued of that. Yeah. And with them and said, there's plenty of people out there who shouldn't be driving, and I'm perfectly capable of driving. Huh. And I got my driver's license eight years ago. I was able to, you know, when I renewed it eight years ago, and I walked to the cane. Like, so I don't understand what the problem is. Huh. Yeah, and, and, and I, I guess I don't know enough about not, the rules. Huh. No, but it, it, so I feel as though people should, that maybe once they hit a certain age, only renew it for two years instead of eight years. Right. Yeah. And then they go back in, and, you know, if they need help if they need to redo their tests and they need to redo it right well that see that's it because again there's certain points in time where i mean i understand because of, of a physical situation and, and something can hit somebody at any given time I, I understand that but part of the aging process is just 
we, we slow down. We don't hear as well. We don't see as well. Our, our reflexes, our knees get bad, things like that. And, and, and sometimes it can be pretty dramatic. And, uh, again, the difference between somebody who might be perfectly, completely healthy at 78, well, maybe maybe by the time they hit 84, that, you know, that, that there's been a lot of deterioration. And, and wouldn't it be nice to know that and just, again, for everybody's safety? No, thanks for the call. That and that that is my only point here. And whenever I do these segments, I, I get these. Why do you want to take my driver's license away? Well, no, I, I I don't, unless you shouldn't be on the road. If it's not safe for somebody to be on the road because you can't see or you can't hear, all right. Well, well then, yes, you're a risk to yourself. You're a risk to other people. My guess is your kids and your grandkids. Um, just, I mean, I. I just the, the idea of my of my father the last couple of years. You know, I mean, I don't think he drove very far or anything, but it was it was one of these continuing sort of things where you go, oh my gosh. I mean, I, I if, I'm sitting there thinking if I wouldn't ride with him or I wouldn't have my niece or nephew ride with him, well, that means he probably shouldn't be on the road. And and so you have this ongoing battle. I think the DMV could help us. Just saying. Big story number two is coming up. All right, we're going to be talking about the individual mandate. Ron Johnson joins me at 210. I want to talk about the tax bill. One of the reports is, though, that the individual mandate to Obamacare is done away with as part of tax reform. Stick around. 1245, Jeff Wagner. More and more Democrats are talking impeachment, and it could become a hot-button issue. Jeff Wagner thinks this strategy could very well backfire. He explains in his show podcast on the WTMJ mobile app. I know you've heard me talk about my pillow in, in the past, and some people say, "Do you really like it?" And the, the truth is, yes. I, as I was saying earlier in the hour, I'm in the process of, you know, moving, and so the other day, true story, I, I found some of these old pillows that I had been sleeping on, and I'm just looking at them and I'm comparing them to my pillow, and it's no wonder, really, that I wasn't sleeping well and that I was waking up with neck pain. I don't know how they do what they do with my pillow. I don't know if it's the way it's constructed or the way it contours my neck. I'm just telling you, I sleep better. And just in time for the holidays, I think this would make a great gift to somebody in your life. You're giving them the gift of a good night's rest. Here's the offer. It's the lowest pricing my pillow has ever offered. Buy one my pillow, get one absolutely free. Just go to their website, MyPillow.com. You do need to use the promo code WAGNER to get the deal. You can also call their 800 number, 800-953-4163. Ask for the buy one, get one special. Again, you need to use the promo code WAGNER. You can also use our promo code to get up to 50% off all items on the MyPillow website. Can't figure out what to get that special someone? Give them the gift of a good night's sleep. Santa Jeff says, check out MyPillow.com. This is Jan. How can I help? Congratulations. You've just won our monthly raffle. Ooh, that's what it's like when you get a great deal at Toyotathon. Toyotathon? Yeah, our biggest event of the year. We still have incredible deals like low APR financing and low lease offers on our amazing vehicles. Wow, amazing. Right? You can save big on Corolla, RAV4, Camry, and more. But it all ends January 2nd. Oh, I still have 10,303,511 calls remaining. You better be quick. Done. No one else answered. Best day ever. Now get in before the deals are gone. Right now, you can get 0% APR financing for 60 months on the all-new 2018 Toyota Camry. Toyota, let's go places. 0% APR financing for 60 months with $1,667,000 borrowed on approved credit from Toyota Financial Services. Call 1-800-79-TOYOTA for details. Does not include taxes, license, title registration fees, and dealer fees. Does not include college, got military rebate. Varies by region. See dealer for details. Offers in one 2 18 
Last week on Financial Engines Investing Sense, we covered tips for staying out of debt this holiday season. To hear more, visit investingsense.com. Join us every Saturday morning at 11. Twelve forty-seven. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. He's back. Number twelve will be under center for the Packers Sunday against the Panthers. Are you fired up, or are you worried, or both? Greg Matzik and Jeff Falcone OT that one up during Packers Playbook starting at six p.m. live from the New Berlin Ale House. Check that out. All right, we're going to be talking in about an hour and twenty minutes to Senator Ron Johnson. Um, and one of the things I want to discuss with him is, of course, the, the tax reform bill, which is moving through Congress. One element that does appear to have made it um, through the, the conference committee discussion is the effort to repeal the individual mandate of Obamacare. Now, let's review the bidding here for a second. Um, when Obamacare was first passed in 2010, 2009, 2010, um, one of the components said people either have to have insurance or they have to pay a penalty for not having insurance. Here's the problem with the individual mandate. The penalty that you have to pay is comparatively small, right? So it's not like the penalty is so high that it really, I don't know, causes people to have to to do that, all right? So lots of people just go ahead and pay the penalty anyways. The other problem is the way that the Obamacare policies have developed is that for many people, it just doesn't make sense to buy them. Well, why doesn't it make sense to buy them? Well, 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 here's the deal. A lot of the policies that are out there, because of the way Obamacare has evolved over the years, if you don't qualify, if you make too much money to qualify for one of the subsidies, the Journal Sentinel actually had a pretty interesting story about this that we talked about a few weeks ago. If you don't make enough money to qualify to have the taxpayers pay for this, so let's say you and your wife or you and your husband make Sixty-seven grand a year. You're not going to be make. You make too much to qualify for the subsidies. So then you have to buy the policy. The policies, in many cases, could end up costing you, I don't know, fifteen to twenty thousand dollars a year. And in addition to that, they've got huge deductibles. So you'd have to have medical expenses of well, close to probably like forty thousand dollars or so to make it worthwhile. Well, almost nobody. Most people don't end up with those type of expenses. So what happens is if you buy Obamacare policies and you do that, well, you're never going to use it anyways, and you're paying a ton of money. So the way this has worked out, it really the penalties aren't high enough to force people to do it. And, again, particularly for people who aren't getting subsidies, um, they can, they, they're buying insurance that, as a practical matter, they never need unless – they would end up in a situation where they had something catastrophic happen to them. The individual mandate has probably been the most hated aspect of Obamacare. As part of this tax plan, they would do away with the individual mandate. Um, The reports are that this might lead to as many as 13 million people being uninsured. What the reports don't say, though, is that the reason it would lead to that, in most cases, would be people would just be making the decision. Younger, healthier people would be sitting there saying, well, you know, it's just I I just I'm not going to pay out all this money for insurance that I might never be able to use. So. 
yes, they would voluntarily be uninsured, but it's a choice they end up making. At 414-799-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, here's what really needs to happen. The individual mandate, in my opinion, needs to go away. But what we also need to do is give people an option of being able to buy insurance for the catastrophic event. You know, you, you, you're going to handle, you know, your average things. Doctors, checkups, okay, you, you can pay for that. You know, some of the routine stuff, you pay for that. But if you want, you know, you just protect yourself against that catastrophic situation, the cancer diagnosis, or, you know, the, the really big sort of thing. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The individual mandate appears to be getting ready to bite the dust. I think it is long overdue. This is going to lead to, I think, a discussion of what we do next. But that, I think, it's going to be good to have that discussion. All right, 1252, Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. We'll talk to you. It's 1256, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Dan in Milwaukee. Dan, good afternoon. Hi, how are you? Good. What do you think? I think there's two flaws in your argument. The first thing you said is that people shouldn't have to get a policy they should have the choice Mm -hmm. to just have a catastrophic policy. And that's exactly what a high deductible policy is. If you choose a $10,000 deductible, then you're choosing to pay for the regular medical visits and the incidentals. And the only time you'll ever use your coverage is if there's a catastrophe or something very serious. But you seem to be suggesting that you wait until the real serious thing happens and then get the policy. And of course, that would crash the market because the only time you'd ever buy the policy right. is when something's really bad, and then we already know there's going to be high expense. That's not how insurance works. Well, no, no, and that, that's not what I'm suggesting at all, Dan. First of all, um, under Obamacare, there are mandates as to what has to be covered now. You know, they have to offer, you know, that, that any insurance policy you get has to cover various types of things. There's all those categories. You have to have the, as part of the insurance policy, you have to have the free checkup provisions, things like that. What about the folks that don't want that type of stuff? Shouldn't they be able to opt out of that and just say, hey, I want this policy with the very, very high deductible? Then there's the whole issue of what the what the cost of the policy is. And like I say, the policies that they're being offered right now under the Obamacare exchanges, again, if you don't You make too much money to qualify for the subsidy. You make $65,000 a year or seventy grand a year if there's a husband and a wife. Your premiums are going to be north of $20-some-thousand-dollars, and you're going to have, again, that high deductible, $10,000, $20,000. So you're going to have like $40,000 in medical expenses before you can even use it. You are being required by the government to buy a product that you will probably never, ever use. But I I have a philosophical objection to this as as well. I don't think the government should be telling you that you have to buy a particular product simply because you are a citizen of the United States. Now, before people say to me, well, Jeff, you you support um, laws that say you have to have automobile insurance. I do. I, I do. But that's different because you don't have to drive a car. 
You know, you can make a decision, I'm not going to drive a car, then the rules don't apply to you. But if you do make the decision to drive, yes, and you're out on the roadway, yes, I I think you should have some insurance in case you end up doing harm to someone else. But in the case of insurance, um, everybody has to do this. You know, you're not opting into it, and and that's where I think the problem is going to be. Here's what I really hope happens, though. I I think that by doing away with the individual mandate, and I understand some people are arguing the same thing. What this means is that some of the healthy people are going to decide to go without insurance. Well, a lot of those healthy people are deciding to go without insurance now. They're just paying the penalty. And the penalty right now isn't so great that it's enough to require them to go in. So you've got all sorts of other people right now who are opting out. They just pay a couple thousand dollars as, as the penalty. So what I think is going to happen is if more people decide that they're going to go uninsured voluntarily, we're going to have to start taking a whole look at how we get more and different types of policies to offer to people so we get more people into the system. And that's what I think the fault of the and the problem with the underlying Obamacare exchanges is. It's 109. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. All right, big story number three. Eric was just talking about, about it. Net neutrality. Rue, who is producing the show today, do you know what net neutrality is? You do. Could you explain it simply, what it what it is? Could you explain it in 30 seconds? Uh, 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 no, no, I'm not asking you to do it on air, but I was asking you, you think you could explain it in 30 seconds what it is? Mm-hmm. All right, Eric Bilstadt. Okay, net neutrality. Do you under, I'm, you're, you're a really smart guy. Do you understand uh, net cool. neutrality? <laughs> I uh, I understand it, but I, I have to admit I'm still trying to research all the implications of it because, as you know, you hear a lot of different things right. when it's discussed. Right. Well, exactly, and and that's why I, I will I will give my my best offer attempt to explain it. I I am not at all convinced that this is as big a deal as some people are are making it sound. This is essentially net neutrality is a battle between the people the companies that provide you with internet service the AT&T's and the Verizon's and the Comcast of the world the people that you go to and you know you you pay for hey I, i'm going to have th- this i'm going to pay you $30 a month or $100 a month or whatever it is and i'm going to have the modem in my house you i pay you to provide me access to the internet the internet service this is a battle between them and the people that provide the content um, for the internet, you know, whether it could be Netflix, for example, the, the streaming services. Um, th- this is really where you know the, the, the elephants that are battling under net neutrality. And this was something; it was a rule adopted in 2015 by um, the Obama era Federal Communications Commission under net neutrality. The people, the companies that provide the Internet service, Verizon, Comcast, AT&T, the people that you pay money to to give you Internet service, they are not allowed to give priority to certain Internet content suppliers. They can't say, for example, um, will Netflix, all right, we're going to cut a deal with Netflix that we'll stream Netflix faster than we're going to stream something else. They have to say all the different people out there on the Internet, 
we have to treat them equally. That's what net neutrality is. By doing away with net neutrality, what you do is now, and again, this is kind of theoretical, but now um, Internet service providers could, in fact, pick and choose. So let's say that they've got a, um, they, they want to cut a deal, we'll use Netflix again as that example, and they want to advertise Netflix. So what they're going to do is they go and they say, okay, we're going to stream Netflix. If, if you sign up with AT&T, right, you know, we've got this deal with Netflix, and you know, you'll be able to stream Netflix faster, you know, you can get the content on Netflix faster than if, you know, you were with one of the other providers. It's not unlike hmm, uh, DirecTV for years has had this NFL Sunday ticket deal, you know, where you can watch all the NFL games. You pay DirecTV and you can watch all the NFL games. Well, you can't do that with Time Warner, with, with Charter Communications. You, you can't do that. It's a special deal. If you want to have access to all the NFL games, you've you got to go to DirecTV. It's kind of like that. This, by doing away with net neutrality, and again, we're talking about things in theory, what now could happen is, you know, you could, again, the different Internet service providers are now free to go out and cut deals with um, different content providers to uh, give them priority over other content providers. And the rule says as long as you disclose that to the customers, as long as you disclose the fact that, hey, you know, if you go to our – if you're using Verizon – um, as your internet provider, you're going to be able to stream, um, I don't know, all this various uh, sports programming. We've cut a deal with the, um, with the NBA that if you get the NBA package, you know, we're going to stream it faster than if you went somewhere else. So it's, in some respects, allows the consumers to pick and choose, you know, what, what they want. Now, the people who oppose this say, well, this is going to be the end of the Internet because what you're going to have happen is you're going to have some of these smaller uh, Internet service, Internet content providers. They're they're not going to be able to get as good as have access as the Netflix of the world is. And so people aren't going to find them. That's not how I think this is going to play out in reality. What I think is going to happen is I think you are now going to see more and more Internet service providers entering the, the field. If, in fact, you do have a couple of the big giants in this field that decide that they're going to limit people's ability to access stuff that people want on the Internet, I think what you're going to see happen is you're going to see more Internet service providers coming into the market to fill the need. I guess I think... At the end of the day, I'm not sure that this is going to dramatically change anything. I think most of the objections are more philosophical than, than anything else. That's number one. Number two, again, my prediction is this has the potential to be more consumer-friendly in that it allows you to pick and choose the things that, that you want. Let's say that there's only a couple, there's only a handful of things that you use on the Internet when it comes to streaming things or whatever. Well, okay, why should you, if you want that stuff faster, 
shouldn't you be able to say, hey, I, I never use anything other than Netflix. I don't care about all this other stuff, but when I go to Netflix, I want it I want Netflix downloading. I want it I want it fast. I I want you know, high-speed access to this stuff. I don't want to see the thing spinning or whatever. Well, all right, this allows you to say, all right, I'm going to go to the company that has the Netflix. It allows you to pick exactly what it is that you want. To me, by doing away with net neutrality, you are going more and more, again, to a free market model. And maybe this is just the conservative philosophy in me coming out. I mean, this is... This is allowing businesses to operate without government regulation. This is allowing content providers to cut deals with Internet service providers. And I think this will ultimately open the door for more Internet service providers if to come into the market if they see that there is a need. So big story number three, and I understand it's kind of a complicated concept, and there's all these people saying the sky is going to fall and this is the end of the Internet. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. Actually, I think that this is going to be, in many respects, sort of no big deal. I doubt I doubt really that you will notice anything. I doubt that the average person will notice any real difference in you know what they're doing on the internet and how they do stuff. I do think what might happen is, again, this will give you an opportunity to pick and choose more, which to me is consumer-friendly. And I think, again, it's going to offer the ability of maybe some people, um, some businesses to come in and do startups to kind of get in the market if they feel that the AT&Ts and the Comcasts and the Verizons of the world aren't being responsive. 41479, well, I tell you, I'm, I, I'm not sure that, I don't know that anybody's going to know the answer to this. I think the bottom line of this is for people who think it's going to be the end of the world, it, it wasn't the end of the world before we had net neutrality rules that went into place in 2015, and I don't think it's going to be the end of the world if these go away in 2018. It's 118. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 121, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Yeah, we are wrapping up the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. It all... Uh, it all comes to a head um, Saturday, starting at 9 o'clock um, at Capco. If you haven't come out there, you should really stop by. Um, it's, it's amazing. Just a couple days remain in our Kids to Kids Christmas campaign. This Friday night, that would be tomorrow, you can bring a new unwrapped toy to Panther Arena to watch the Admirals take on Iowa at 7 p.m., and you'll receive a buy one, get one ticket offer for a future Admirals game. Help those who need it this holiday season with Kids to Kids Christmas from WTMJ, the Salvation Army, and Capco Metal Stamping. I was waiting for this t- to happen. Over the course of the last few weeks, you have had one person after another, powerful men, driven from their jobs um, over allegations of sexual harassment. You've had politicians who have been forced to resign. Um, for example, you know, Al Franken and John Conyers. You've had an Alabama election that normally would have normally would have been a slam dunk for Republican. Well, the Republican Roy Moore loses over 40-year-old allegations of um, misconduct with regard to minors. You have had Matt, people like Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose who've ended up losing their jobs. And in almost all cases, you, you've had 
uh, you know, Garrison Keeler, um, another one there, Kevin Spacey, of course, um, you know, Kevin Spacey, the actor. And in almost all the cases, you've had the people who were involved acknowledging that they engaged in, in bad behavior and essentially taking, you know, taking their medicine and moving on. Um, this is, of course, now getting broader and broader. And I was waiting for this situation to happen. But here you have something happened yesterday, and you have at least one personality who, who's fighting back, Tavis Smiley. And I have to say, I've I've never seen the guy's show. He, he runs a PBS talk, talk show on PBS, um, African-American guy. He was suspended for misconduct. Here, here's the story where the Washington Post reports it. PBS is indefinitely suspending distribution of the late-night talk show Tavis Smiley after multiple misconduct allegations emerged against the show's 53-year-old host, PBS announced yesterday. While a statement from a PBS spokeswoman did not say what sort of misconduct was alleged, PBS NewsHour on its website said the allegations involved sexual misconduct. All right, so this is another guy who's, again, you know, been running a talk show for a number of years. I think he's been doing a talk show for almost 20 years. Um, you know, loses it because of allegations, again, of sexual misconduct. Interestingly, Smiley's fighting back. Early this morning, he posts a Facebook video saying that he was shocked to hear PBS's sudden announcement and intends to fight back against the network's so-called investigation. He says he has the utmost respect for all women and celebrates the courage of those women who have come forth of late to share their own truth. Let me assure you, this is what he says, I have never groped, inappropriately exposed myself, or coerced any colleague in the workplace ever in my 30-year career. If, if, Having a consensual relationship with a colleague years ago is the stuff that leads to this kind of public humiliation and personal destruction. Heaven help us. Hmm. So he's apparently saying, um, yes, I, I had consensual conduct um, contact with, with people I, I worked with, but I never behaved in an inappropriate fashion. And, of course, PBS says, well, we've got this investigation. Um, apparently what happened here is they have um, a number of women, multiple women, saying that this guy had engaged in relationships with multiple su- subordinates. Um, some witnesses expressed concern that their employment status was linked to the status of a sexual relationship with Smiley. Um, they also described the longtime TV personality as creating a verbally abusive and threatening environment and raised concerns about retaliation, according to Variety. Um, I, I bring this up only because you wonder where this is ultimately going to go as as more and more. And it's, it's always one of the difficulties you have with conduct that, that that's occurred years ago and conduct that the person who is accused of, you know, necessarily denies. Now, it sounds like what happened here is the guy did, in fact, have sexual relations with people in the workplace. Um, he says these were all consensual. Uh, you know, who, who knows exactly what the, the truth of the matter is, and I guess that's what the investigation is ultimately going to determine. But you do wonder how far this stuff is going to go. Does it go from... A situation like where Matt Lauer is clearly harassing coworkers and uh, trying to, you know, behave in inappropriate fashions in an effort to try to, you know, procure sexual favors. Okay, is that different 
than a Tavis Smiley? Is it different than an Al Franken? Or does it really make any difference at all? I think that's going to be interesting to see where this plays out. You have behavior like Harvey Weinstein's that if it's anything close to which is alleged, this guy is a pig. And should have been out on his butt years ago. Same thing true with Matt Lauer. On the other hand, is now a situation where, you know, you do, let's face it, I mean, people meet each other in the workplace. Is this now starting to morph into situations where you have the consensual sort of relationships? And I don't know if that's what happened with this Tavis Smiley guy or not. And candidly, I could care less whether, you know, PBS has pulled the plug on him. I do think, though, Now, you know, is there a new standard? Is there no statute of limitations for bad behavior? And how bad does the behavior have to be? Stay tuned. 127, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 136, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. U.S. Senator Ron Johnson scheduled to uh, join us about 10 after 2. We're going to talk about the tax reform bill and Roy Moore and net neutrality and all those things. All right, Frank Lesser is a... um, was a, a very well-known Broadway composer and, and one of the old Tin Pan Alley um, songwriters. Um, he, his heyday was probably in the 40s and the 50s. Um, he, he wrote a number of songs that you'd probably be familiar with. Um, he, he also did the, the words and music to a couple Broadway musicals. Guys and Dolls is probably his most famous one. Um, How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying was was another one and did the uh, he did the western song i got spurs the jingle jangle jingle you know he, that that that's his song so he, you know he, he had a number of songs like that he also perhaps might be the song of his that might be best known is the, the song baby it's cold outside um and and i, I want i want to give you the pg13 warnings there are there are people who are incensed about this particular tune. This song has been around since 1944, and, and Lesser wrote this. It's a duet, and it's it's been it's been recorded hundreds of times. But he wrote this as a duet, um, and he and his wife would would perform this at their at, at various things that they would would do. Um, the lyrics. Are, are designed to be heard as a conversation between two people, um, male and female. The way it typically works is the, the, the way this generally plays out, the way this is performed, is the two of them have gone out on a date. They return to the guy's house after the date. The woman decides it's time to go home. The guy flirtatiously invites her to stay as it's late and it's cold outside. She wants to stay and enjoy herself but feels obligated to return home. Okay, that, that's the basis. This has been recorded countless times. We were trying to decide whether we were going to do the Willie Nelson, Nora James version or the Bing Crosby, Doris Day version of this. Because the Bing Crosby, Doris Day version is a little bit shorter, we're going to go with this. It's a couple minutes long. But, but here, here's the song. I really can't but stay. But baby, it's cold outside. I've got to go away. But baby, it's cold outside. This evening is been, been hoping that you so very nice. I'll hold your hands. They're just like my ice. mother will start to Beautiful, worry. Beautiful, what's your and father will be 
be pacing the floor. Listen to the fireplace. So really, I'd better scurry. Beautiful, please don't well, hurry. Maybe just a half a drink Put more. Put some records on while I pour. The neighbors might think. Maybe it's bad out there. Say, what's in this drink? No camps to be had out there. I wish I knew your how eyes are like starlight to now. break the spell. I'll take your hat. <gasps> your hair looks swell. I ought to say no, no, Mind no, sir. Mind if I move in. At closer. least I'm gonna say that I tried. What's the sense of hurting my pride? I really can't stay. Baby, don't hold out. Ah, oh, but it's, it's cold outside. I simply must But go. Baby, it's cold outside. The answer But is no. Baby, it's cold outside. This welcome is How been lucky that you dropped so it. nice and warm. Look out the window at that store. My sister will be suspicious. Gosh, your lips look delicious. My brother will be there at the Waves door. Waves upon a tropical shore. My maiden aunt's mind is Ooh, vicious. Your lips Well, maybe just a cigarette. Never more. such a blizzard before. I've got to get home. But baby, you freeze out there. Say, uh, lend me a It's cold. It's up to your knees. Okay, you you get the idea. And that's Bing Crosby and Doris Day. But this song has been recorded hundreds and hundreds of times. It is, it is a cold weather standard. So you might say, okay, Jeff, why are we talking about this? Let me share with you a portion of an opinion piece that appears in USA Today, written by their editor of, what's her official title? Deputy Managing Editor for Digital at USA Today. Her name is Mary Nahorniak. All right? All right. Now, I just, I played you the song. Maybe I should have given the PG-13 warning in advance. But here, here is what she writes. Is this the year we finally retire, baby, it's cold outside? In 2017, America woke up to the systematic sexual predation that pervades every corner of society. But some of our Christmas carols are stuck in the past. In particular, the drumbeat against baby, it's cold outside is getting too loud to ignore. And then she cites some, there's a petition apparently to end baby, it's cold outside because... It is literally about date rape. For so many people, the classic winter call and response song involves shimmers in shivers in this tune written in the 1940s by Guys and Dolls composer Frank Lesser. The woman sings that she has to leave for Bo's house, and he's not a fan of the idea. She spells out reasons to go, and he suggests otherwise. The weather is frightful. There are no cabs. They could share another drink or a smoke. But the man smoothly persuading her to stick around feels a little too close to coercion for comfort. He simply doesn't take no for an answer, interrupting her shooting down her attempts to leave and beefing up her half-baked ideas to stay. This is where the song really sounds off-key to modern ears and our definition of consent, which has involved from no means no to yes means yes. 
even if the intentions aren't sinister. It's simply exhausting to be a woman in that situation. In the original score, the male part is written as a wolf and the woman is a mouse. That speaks volumes about male predatory behavior. Many women know what it's like to be trapped by a man, whether emotionally or physically. In those situations, it doesn't matter how it began or why she wants to leave. It only matters that she wants to go now. Um, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay. Is this a song which, I, I guess, glorifies date rape? Is this a song which trivializes sexual assault? Is this a song which marginalizes women and makes it okay for the predatory male to take advantage of the female? Or is this overthinking a a good-natured song showing an an interaction between, you know, a couple? All right, do we need to ban Baby It's Cold Outside? Now, and again, there are, just because something has been around for 70-some years doesn't necessarily mean that you can't, you know, re-examine it. We have these conversations all the time when it comes to, you know, people appearing in places in blackface, which might have been acceptable at one point in time and isn't now. I mean, so we do reassess stuff. But, all right, this is the year of, of Me Too. Do we need to get around, do we need to get rid of songs like this? 414-799-1620. We are back to discuss Do we need to take this song out of the rotation? Should Baby It's Cold Outside be, I don't know, put in the same dustbin that the old uh, movie Song of the South by Walt Disney has been put in? What do you think? We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 144. 147, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I, I do not make this up. There's a big story in USA Today arguing that the classic winter song um, it, it's it's a carol. Baby, it's cold outside. Should be done away with. We should not play that anymore because it is a song that celebrates date rape. You've got the woman who says, I got to go home, and the guy who's trying to talk her out of going home. Here, have a drink. You know, and she's giving all these reasons, and he's just talking over her. All right. Is, is this really a song that celebrates date rape? Do we need to be outraged about this? Or are we really overthinking it? All right, I've got Marion Waukesha who texts, Ridiculous, the song is innocent. I'm so happy I'm a married woman. Dating these days is being stripped of any fun or playfulness and becoming sterile. Enough already. Keep the song. Let's talk to Lori in Marinette. Lori, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Hi, Lori. I'm, I'm actually offended that people are offended by this song. Um <laughs> The next thing you know, they're going to go after Santa Claus for having little girls sit on their on his lap. <laughs> Santa Claus is an old pervert. Have you seen yeah, that type of stuff? Absolutely. Good lord, people need to just get a grip. Okay, so from the female perspective, you you hear this song and you are not offended. You don't think it's demeaning towards woman, women. You just think it's kind of a I don't know playful interaction between a couple that's dating. Yeah, absolutely. It's. No, there's nothing wrong with it. I, th- thanks for call. Well, I have to tell you, the reason I ask this is because it never occurred to me that there was anything wrong with this either till I saw the story, and then I went back and I listened to all the variations of the song. And like I say, th- this song written in 1944, it has been recorded hundreds of times by 
um, all sorts of content. Uh, I mean, there. It's not like this is just a song that you can't find since 1954. Um, Adina Menzel, you know, who's the big Broadway star, she recorded a version of this uh, a year or two ago. So this is around. I don't think most reasonable people would hear something like this and say this celebrates date rape. But I'm, I guess I'm willing to be talked out of that. 414-799-1620. Pete in Appleton. Pete, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing today? Well, this stuff makes my head hurt, to tell you the truth. Yeah, yeah mine too, actually. And that's, I'm, glad, I'm glad I had a female caller go right before me because I thought the same thing. I, I think the song is just about playful banter between a boyfriend and a girlfriend. I mean, if, look, if, if you're going to be offended by that, then maybe those people should just move to an island somewhere where there's no society around them because they're just going to find flaws in every single thing about society. Those are people that are just looking for a reason to, to complain about something, and that's all it is. And, look, I'll, I'll be quite honest with you. I, I, I'm, I lean more Democratic, but <laughs> with, with, all, with all this, I mean... It, it, it's just crazy. I mean, political correctness I run amok. No, thanks. To, I, I, I want to give you a different perspective. I, I have I have an email from a, a female listener, Betsy, who says, "Ooh, this song should be off the air." Say, what's in this drink? Really, true story. My teenage son heard this song on the radio and commented, "Wow, that's got a kind of rapey vibe to it." Huh? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Really, kind of a. I mean, I. I guess. I mean, I see this now. This, this is, I mean, it's, it's for this is one of these sort of Broadway things where you've got uh, again, you've got the guy that's pursuing the the gal, candidly, and a number of texters are making this point uh, of of all the different songs that you could obsess over and you know want to get removed from from airplay or whatever. Why don't we start with like almost every rap song that's out there? The, the stuff that that talks, you know, gratuitously about sex and, and violence, and and the stuff that really is demeaning and dehumanizing towards women. I mean, I mean, quite candidly, I think you could probably, if you were trying to find like uh, the, the top one hundred songs that might glorify violence towards women or unwanted sexual behavior or things like that, I, I think y- you start with. Most of the rap stuff that's out there, and that gets you your first hundred or two hundred, and then you start worrying about stuff like, like baby, it's cold outside. Stephanie in West Dallas. Stephanie, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. I'm. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Yes, I am shocked that anybody would think this has to do with the song has to do with date rape or sexual assault. And as a victim of sexual assault, I will tell you, the song is nothing like the way it really goes. And the problem with... Um, this, trivial, calling, this trivializes the real yes. sex, things like sexual assault, yes. It does, completely. And it's like you're looking at something that's not a threat. Rather than teaching girls or, or, or even boys how to identify what's really a threat, you're, you're taking something that has a few of the same features, factors, and saying, oh, that's the problem. But it's not. So you're not even helping. And I know a lot of folks are probably trying to do something good and, and stand up for people who can't or you know, seem to not be able to help themselves. But you're not focusing on the right thing, and it's not going to help. Well, right, right. Exactly. And, I mean, again, this is – look, it's, it's a – it's a wooing song. He's trying to get her to stay or, or whatever. But 
I mean, there's lots of songs that are, are like that. Why you would oh, single yeah. this one out is just kind of beyond me. I think it's the line, hey, what's in this drink? And that gets some people starting to think about date rape drugs. Right. And I, we, you know, I've had this conversation with people before. But in this song, she's complicit. She's looking for an excuse to stay and and to prolong their time together. So there's no way anybody could say that she's being taken advantage of or well yeah, thanks so like you that. you wouldn't think so you wouldn't think I mean this is Doris Day in the version I this is Doris Day and Bing Crosby for goodness sakes. But but I, I mean right say what's in this drink. I mean I I think the reference at the time was hey how strong did you make this thing or something like that. But I mean obvious I I guess and I, I'm so glad that Stephanie called in because these are serious issues, you know, you know, issues of sexual harassment and sexual assault and things like that are, are serious issues that deserve, I think, a full, frank, you know, conversation about candidly when you obsess over, gee, have you heard the lyrics of the song from 1944? Oh, my goodness. You know, this, this isn't this innocuous thing. This isn't this, you know, banter back and forth between a man and a woman. This is, oh, my gosh, this is something that celebrates date rape. To me, this is one of those examples that, again, show people are just trying just trying too hard. Um, Bill says, God help us all. The song was one of the highlights of one of the greatest Christmas movies ever, Elf. Wait until the politically correct realize that in this kid's movie, Elf is singing to his co-worker when she is in the shower. Heads heads will explode. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I think if you want to get me started on songs that you need to ban or things that we need to decide, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, we're going to take them out. Well, again, I, I think that I have a whole bunch of other songs that I think maybe we start with. Um, and that includes, like I say, you know, you go through the hip hop genre and probably every second or third song, you know, promotes violence towards women and misogyny and sexual assault or unwanted touchings and stuff like that. Maybe that's where we start instead of baby, it's cold outside. 155, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 158. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Ron Johnson coming up in about 10 minutes or so. Gru's producing the show. This debate over baby it's cold outside, we probably, after I get back from vacation, need to spend a couple hours just going through all the bumper music we play, analyzing the lyrics to see if we are doing anything that might offend someone. How about Winter Wonderland? You know, in the meadow, we can build a snowman, then pretend that he is Parson Brown. He'll say, are you married? We'll say, no, man, but you can do the job when you're in town. Is this a guy... That is trying to lure, lure some woman into, I don't know, a relationship by promising that they're going to get married. I, I mean, w- where do we draw the line here? And again, I, I don't mean to mock this. Yes, I do mean to mock it because there are serious issues when it comes to dealing with this type of stuff. But when you get obsessed with the, the trivia of this, oh, my gosh, this song is so terrible. You know, we can't. We can't have this sung anymore. We've got to retire it. I think you minimize, like our caller Stephanie was saying, the, the true the true issue that's out there. It's like when you have people scream racism at every drop of the hat. It diminishes the real racism that's out there. Senator Ron Johnson coming up in just a couple minutes. It's 159. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 209, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. A lot of stuff going on in Washington, and we are joined by the senior senator from the state of Wisconsin, Ron Johnson. Senator, good afternoon. Well, Jeff, how are you doing? I am well. Hey, can I say Merry Christmas to you? Is that okay? 
Absolutely. Merry Christmas <laughs> to you and your listeners as well. All right, uh, Senator, a lot of stuff going on. Let's just get right to it. You know, what is the status of tax reform? A lot of the reports suggest that something is going to get done before the end of the year. I believe so. And I think primarily because the goal of, of almost every Republican here in Congress has been pro-growth. And, you know, obviously I, I had some concerns about the disparity between pass-through businesses and, and C-Corps. Didn't completely fix the problem, but certainly moved a long way toward my direction. Uh, again, I'm not going to let my vision of the perfect be the enemy of the good. And stepping back now that we've had those, those squabbles and, and we've gotten those improvements, uh, there's no doubt that this tax plan will be incredibly pro-growth, which is, to me, the second step in the process of ensuring a continued robust economy. We've, we've really stopped the overregulation. We're starting to pull it back. I saw President Trump had a good event where he showed the, the massive amounts of, uh, of regulatory paperwork that uh, he was going to try and cut, and we have been limiting the, the growth and, and cutting it back. Uh, and then I think in the next budget cycle, addressing welfare reform, hopefully passing Graham Castor, Heller Johnson, that block granting to the to the states, a lot of the federal health care spending. I mean, all these things are really designed to return more power to individuals, uh, certainly governing power to the states, and really result in pro-growth policies that will increase uh, wages and benefits and increase job opportunities and job security. Senator, you were talking about no bill ever being perfect. And, you know, of course, you've got a lot of different competing interests. Um, Just in the last couple of minutes, I was watching this report that says that Senator Rubio says he's going to be a no vote because he has an issue with the child care credit. Are are, are you going to be able to get to, you know, 50 plus one votes, do you think? Well, if if those are the only two votes we lose, uh, we'll still pass it because we'll have uh, Vice President Pence uh, breaking the tie. I mean, I, I hope. Marco comes comes along. He he fought hard for what was important to him. He, he certainly got an increase in the child tax credit, and and uh, you know I, I hope he doesn't hold out for you know every last one of his wishes. I, I certainly didn't get everything I was I was looking for. Uh, far from it. But again, you have to step back in the end and realize that this is really a pro growth tax bill, and that was the the primary uh, goal of, of our, our of our efforts here. And, and by the way, pro growth will certainly help those same families that, that he's fighting for. And listen, I, I admire him fighting for those. I think we all do. We, we want every American to have you know, higher take-home pay and uh, better, better opportunities, better job security. Uh, Senator, one of the other aspects of, of the, the bill appears to be that um, the individual mandate is going to be eliminated from the Affordable Care Act. Is that correct? Absolutely. And that's one of the really good reasons to support this bill. That is a that is a tax a penalty on low to middle income Americans. Uh, Steve Daines did a great job. Senator Daines from Montana got the uh, information from the IRS showed that uh, more than 80% of those p- people paying penalties make less than $50,000. Over 40% make less than 25. So that penalty tax is on individuals who have been priced out of Obamacare individual markets, and the icing on the cake for those individuals is to be taxed by this federal government. It's outrageous, and even the CBO has begun to recognize that any possible benefit the individual mandate had in terms of encouraging people to, to get insurance has long since played out. So this is the time to kill the individual mandate and give relief to those low- to middle-income Americans that are bearing the burden of that penalty. Do you think that, that moving forward from a political perspective, 
Um, the Republicans can make the general public understand that because every headline I see says this is going to result in 13 more million people being uninsured. Well, of course, it's there. These will be people that are uninsured by choice, I guess. But, you know, those are the headlines that you're going to be facing, I think. Well, first of all, the CBO, again, is being very disingenuous in that because they're comparing to a baseline from March 2016. They've updated their baseline. If they use the new baseline of what they figured would occur under current law, 7 million people would drop out of that 13. So you're left with a small, far, a small, uh, far smaller number. And, of course, about half of that remaining total would be people getting free Medicaid. And you're assuming people are going to drop free Medicaid just because there's no longer a mandate for them to get free Medicaid. <laughs> so, listen, the, the, it's hard to predict the future. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to be overly critical of, of both CBO and, and Joint Committee on Taxation, but their projections, and they are wildly wrong in many, many respects, and this is certainly one of those cases. Um, Senator, can you talk a little bit about the process? I mean, obviously, one of the things that was an issue was um, how you balance the, the increase in the standard deduction versus limiting the, the amount of money that people can deduct. And my understanding is like $10,000 is now going to be the limit for um, property taxes and state income taxes. There's going to be a limit on mortgage deductions for mortgages above 750000 Was it tough to get to a consensus on these things? Well, the process isn't pretty. You know, there, there's a reason they call it a sausage-making process. Uh, there's a reason we haven't done major tax reform in 30 years, because it is extremely difficult. It's, t- it's tough uh, hurting cats, trying to gain the consensus of really a pretty broad spectrum, even within the Republican conference. But, again, that's why I thought it was so key that we focus primarily on economic growth. You know, Jeff, this is not the way I would have approached tax reform. I, I had my own tax concept to uh, make an optional simple system as well as convert C-Corps into pass-throughs. You know, I pushed for it. I got scores on it. I, I met with the Chairman Brady, Chairman Hatch, present to my Senate colleagues. It wasn't adopted. Okay, I get that. So now you take a look at what was adopted, and you do everything you can. You fight hard to make it as good as possible, improve it in your direction. But when all said and done, you know, then you have to accept the final compromise results and, and take a look and, and compare it literally about our, to our current tax system. That's a pretty low bar. So this will be a vast improvement, not necessarily simplification, by the way. I, I think in many respects we've over, overly complicated the tax system. I don't like that aspect, but this is going to be so pro-growth. And you've heard me say repeatedly, the number one component of a solution, I don't care what problem you're talking about, hollowing out over military, our debt and deficit, you know, not having funds to spend on, on social goods, is, is economic growth. And this will definitely promote more robust economic growth so the American economy can realize its full potential. Is the alternative minimum tax going away? It is for corporations, and it's, the threshold is raised much higher for individuals, as I understand it. So I think most people won't, won't be bothered by that. Uh, Senator, let's switch gears a little bit. Earlier today in the program, um, we were talking about net neutrality. FCC voted along party line votes to essentially do away with the net neutrality rules. Some people are predicting that this is going to be devastating for consumers. Where do you stand on this issue? Well, first of all, it's a really slick marketing term, but completely false. Uh, Since this net neutrality over-regulation is what it really was, uh, over-regulation of the Internet, for the first time in Internet history, investment went down. So, Jeff, if you're concerned about access to high-speed broadband, what you want is you want to incentivize more investment into high-speed broadband. This net neutrality over-regulation actually decreased investment. So this is really good news. 
consumers aren't going to even notice it in terms, you know, certainly not from a negative standpoint. If anything, what you'll you realize is potentially lower prices and greater access moving forward. So, again, a great marketing term, a uh, cynical one from my standpoint uh, on part of the left. But this is, this is kind of like Y2K. Uh, a lot, lot of scaremongering. I, I don't think people are even going to notice it. So you think uh, it might even be potential, potentially that you might have more Internet service providers uh, coming out to provide services, giving consumers more choices instead of the limited number of choices we have now. That's what happens in a free market system where you get government out of the way. You don't overregulate something. Even Bill Clinton realized that we wanted a light regulatory touch on the Internet, which was in place until Chairman Wheeler decided to go this, this you know, overregulation called it net neutrality, and all of a sudden investment went down. I mean, that was directly related to that overregulation. We're going to get rid of that overregulation, and people will have greater access. At, you know, no doubt about it. Senator, Tuesday night, uh, Alabama, for the first time, I think, in 25 years, sends a Democrat to the U.S. Senate. Um, I, I was reading and listening to all the talking heads, everybody saying, oh, this is the demise of the Republican Party that Roy Moore lost. This means it's going to be awful in 2018. My take was that, that Roy Moore was just an awful candidate and that people trying to read more into it are, are kind of overreacting. Oh, I think so, too. I mean, Alabamans have the great, great sense, the good sense, uh, to, to not send somebody who, as a 32-year-old man, was trolling shopping centers looking for teenage girls. Uh, they didn't want to be represented by somebody in the U.S. Senate that, that did those types of things. So, unfortunately, Judge Moore didn't realize that he should have stood, you know, stood aside allowed a Republican candidate that would have won easily, uh, allowed Alabamas to have what they really want as a Republican senator, but he, he didn't do that. And so now we, we've got to you know, deal with the fact that uh, our majority is even more slender here in the United States Senate. It's very unfortunate, but uh, I'm sure Alabamas will correct that in, in a couple of years. I know it's not your side of the aisle, but we, we haven't talked, at least on the radio, about uh, the, the Al Franken resignation. Did you think that was appropriate? That was really up to, to uh, Senator Franken and, and his Democratic colleagues. Uh, you know, I, I hate to see how prevalent uh, th this type of uh, reprehensible behavior is. You know, I was on a TV show earlier today, and they were trying to bring in President Trump into this equation. I, I went back to President Bill Clinton. You know, I, I think he got the ball rolling on this. I mean, his reprehensible behavior that was not he was not held accountable for uh, has snowballed into even worse behavior. So I, I'm really appreciative of the fact of, of the women that have had the courage to come forward and start holding these individuals accountable. Ho hopefully men of all ages realize that th this kind of, kind of behavior can have long-term, very detrimental uh, consequences on, on women, and they stop it. Senator, there was uh, earlier today, and Politico released a, a very, very long story suggesting that uh, Congressman Paul Ryan might be pulling the plug after this this year, saying he's kind of frustrated with stuff and maybe looking forward to doing other things. Um, any insight onto that? Any predictions? No, just to say I'm a Paul Ryan fan. Yeah. Uh, Paul is just the most decent person, inside or outside of politics. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I, would, I would truthfully hate to see him resign, but at the same time, I, you know, he certainly deserves a better life than, than probably what he's living. Uh, I, I mean, he's, he's a good leader, um, 
but that's entirely up to him to decide. Yeah, I was trying to explain that to, to someone just earlier today, and I was saying, well, it, it, look, b- being a congressman, being a U.S. senator it, it is a great job, but it's also a lot of work, particularly congressman. You're running every two years. You're in Washington working, then you're coming back. You know, Generally speaking, you're meeting constituents during the weekend. In the case of Paul Ryan, he's probably traveling around the country raising money for other candidates. It, it's a hectic life, especially for somebody with you know three kids who are growing up fast. No, for, for somebody like Paul or, or Sean Duffy that has a young family, it's a tremendous sacrifice. You know, a, sh- a short day is 12 hours, and it frequently is seven days a week. So, no, I mean, members of Congress are not lazy people. They are working hard. A lot is expected of them. Uh, but, again, it's, it's their choice to do that. And, uh, you know, it, it's not a boring job. It's an incredibly interesting job. It's an important job. So, you know, you're rewarded from that standpoint. But, uh, again, pa- Paul's been doing this for a very long period of time. He's been away from his family a lot. This, one of the things I really value about him is taking the speakership. He insisted on being able to spend weekends with his family, and he is honoring that commitment as well. So, uh, no, he's just, he's just a wonderful human being. Wisconsin and America are very fortunate to have uh, somebody like Paul Ryan represent us and be Speaker of the House. Senator Ron Johnson, thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Merry Christmas to you and your listeners. Take care. Take care. It's uh, Senator Ron Johnson. Yeah, it, and, and again, I, I say that sincerely, and it's it, it's everybody thinks, oh, being a congressman is just a, a great gig. Well, it, it, it may very well be, but it is it, it is work. You're constantly now in many districts. They're they're safe districts, but still, you're you're constant. You're in D.C. for a few days. Because of the economics of it, congressmen are paid a good salary. But generally speaking, unless you're independently wealthy, you're, you're probably not going to be living exclusively in D.C. You're going to be bouncing back and forth. So you've got to figure out where you're going to live there. You've got your house here. You're away from the kids. I mean, it's I, I understand why somebody might say, hey, I get to a point where maybe there's other things to do with my life. You know, Mark Newman, with classic example of that, Mark Newman could have been a congressman from that district for as long as he wanted, and I, I think he decided he, he wanted to do other stuff with his life. I respect that. Now, I'm not predicting, I don't know whether this political story is accurate or not, but I, I understand that. Um, life is short. It's 222. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 225, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The open enrollment deadline is looming. Looming. Mike Spaulding shares last-minute tips from an expert. That is at 6051 tomorrow on Wisconsin's Morning News. I want to thank, thank Senator Johnson for joining us. It, you know, he made a couple really interesting points, and I, I admit I had an involuntary eye roll right before I got the chance to interview Senator Johnson when I saw in one of these news reports that Marco Rubio says he's going to vote no on the, the Senate bill because it doesn't do enough on the child care credit. This this just takes me back to the frustration I was having a couple months ago with a handful of Republican senators you know, in Wisconsin who were trying to hijack the budget bill. Now, remember in Wisconsin, you have Republican a Republican assembly, you've got Republican senators, you've got a Republican governor. This stuff should get done. Just should get done. But it was, it just got delayed and delayed and delayed because you had people who just couldn't agree on certain things. So you hammer it out, you get a majority opinion, and then you have a handful of, of senators who say, okay, well, this doesn't go far enough in, in my mind for this, that, or the other thing. And so they try to hijack the process. I admit that that drives me just absolutely crazy because 
Nothing is going to be perfect unless you are the king and, and you get to draw it up exactly like you want. So everybody is going to have disagreements on stuff. But, you know, coming together on something complicated like tax reform, and it's just like Senator Johnson was talking about. It's why people haven't tackled it for 30 years, because everybody has different issues. Trying to build a consensus is very, very difficult. And to have somebody who says, well, I'm not going to vote because this particular thing doesn't go far enough, it's 98% what you want, but you can't get what you want on that other 2%, so you're going to vote no. That's that's like the kids that decide, well, I'm going to take my ball and go home because you're not going to let me shoot all the time. I mean, it's just – it is very, very frustrating. I think Senator Johnson, like he said, you know, he was trying to lead a charge to get more stuff on, on pass-through stuff, things. He got some of what he wanted. He didn't get all of what he wanted, but because he is an adult – he decided that, okay, I'm not going to hold up this process simply because I didn't get all I wanted because nobody ever gets everything of what they want. But the people who are leaders are the ones that recognize, all right, I'm going to do the best I can to get what I want, and then I'm getting on the team. Speaking of getting on the team, coming up after the news, well, it, it, there's, there is one TV network that is succeeding where all other networks are are not. And candidly, I never paid any attention to this network until after I got married. I'm going to tell you this story, and then we're going to discuss. It kind of relates to the war on Christmas. It's a fascinating story. I guarantee it. That's coming up. Right now it's 228. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 236, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, whenever you, whenever you get married, there, and if you haven't been married before, if, Trust me, this is what happens. And if you, you know, if you are married, you know this. There, there's always, no matter how well you think you know someone, there, there's always this this process that you find out about when when you start seriously dating and then you get married. And you're when you're living with someone. Now, I people know me because I kind of wear my heart on the sleeve. You know, it's, I'm I'm sort of out there. I, I talk about the stuff that, that that I do in my life. I fully admit that I like junk TV. So I watch, I I I used to love I used to love uh, Full Throttle Saloon, which was about this bar that operated during Bike Week in Sturgis, and it was on some obscure channel. McCure liked it too, but I I admit I I watch I watch the things like Gold Rush and I watch Swamp People. I watch all these different types of things. Not necessarily proud of it, and I watch sports and I watch movies. My wife, my wife loves the Hallmark Channel. Now, Gru, who's producing the show, have you ever seen the Hallmark Channel? A couple, a couple of their Christmas movies. Well, that's because that's all there is on the Hallmark Channel right now. The Hallmark Channel, starting at the end of October, goes all Christmas movies all the time. And that they produce their own Christmas movies. They're all like two hours long. They've got like 31 now that are in rotation. Christmas at Holly Lodge, Christmas this, Christmas that. And it's, my wife loves it. And, and she'll be upfront about this. I hope she doesn't mind me telling the story on the radio. She, sorry, hon. But, I mean, she, she just loves, she says, look, the, the, it's great escapist type of stuff. She just loves it. I, I mean, it's, it's one of these things where the, the movies are all kind of the same. It's generally, um, you, you've got, the gal who's looking for love, you've got the guy who's looking for love, there's some sort of misunderstanding or something, but they end up getting together and live happily ever after, all with a Christmas theme. That, that That's kind of what it is. Now, I've watched a handful of these because 
she likes to watch them. So I, and, and I, I always kid her. I want to see how it's all going to turn out. I want to see if this one's not going to end happy. She said, Jeff, that's not what the Hallmark Theater is. They're, they're, they're all essentially the same. But, but before anybody mocks it, I mean, here's the reality of this. Um, you have, we live in a day and age where the, the market for like these different networks, these entertainment networks, it's so fragmented. There's so many different choices that everybody is losing market share. I mean, everybody is because there's just so many more choices. The contrast is the Hallmark Channel. Um, in 2016, Hallmark was the only top 15 entertainment channel that had double-digit ratings growth. That last year, double-digit ratings growth. Viewership has jumped another 16% this year. I mean, the Hallmark Channel is just a classic example of success. Uh, Hallmark's Christmas programming, which, like I say, this year began before Halloween, generates more than 30% of its annual ad revenue and has helped Hallmark become the season's highest-rated cable network among women aged 25 to 54. More than 70 million Americans watched Hallmark Channel Christmas movies last year. Okay, this is this is absolutely staggering. And so, I mean, my, my wife is... Again, way ahead of the curve with me because she loves the Hallmark Channel for, for what it is. Now, you might say, okay, Jeff, well, where, where are we going with this? Why, why are we talking about this? Well, it, it's, it's, first of all, it's an, incredible, it's an incredible success. But along with success always comes the, the critics. There's a big piece up in, in Slate magazine, you know, online, where um, they, they look at the home. They, they have this writer who analyzes the, the Hallmark Channel. And has decided the Hallmark Channel, I'm going to paraphrase, is evil. Um, How can, and the the general attitude is, how can anybody watch this? How can anybody watch these around-the-clock Christmas movies? And, and, And they're all the same. I'm going to quote from this. They brim with white heterosexuals who exclusively, emphatically, and endlessly bellow Merry Christmas to every lumberjack and labradoodle they pass. They are centered on beauty pageant heroines and strong-jawed heroes with white nationalist haircuts. Um, they complain, again, this, this slate person complains that, well, there, there's not gay people and there's not feminists and there's not Muslims in the movie. Um, there's 42 hours of sugary, sexist, preposterously plotted, plot hole festooned, belligerently traditional, ecstatically Caucasian cheer. The Christmas down your throat bombast, holly jolly sexism, the character's zaniness and unyielding impulsiveness. It's all very Trumpian behavior. <laughs> Trumpian behavior. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Hallmark is a huge success. What they are doing is working in a big way. They are seeing unprecedented sort of growth when everybody else is flat or you know not, not getting that type of growth. They are doing incredibly well with women. And here you have this person at Slate who says, oh, this is just terrible. This is, I, I mean, this is a brim with white heterosexuals who exclusively, emphatically, and endlessly bellow Merry Christmas to every lumberjack and labradoodle they pass, centered on beauty pageant heroines and strong-jawed heroes with white nationalist haircuts. All right, 414-799-1620. Why is Hallmark so successful? Because they are. 
Are you a Hallmark Channel watcher? Why is it that you watch it? Because a lot of people do. I've got my theories, and I'll share them, but I want to talk to you about this, too. 414-799-1620. All right, should you feel guilty about this? Is this, oh, it's just all very Trumpian. Why does the left hate stuff like this? We discuss next. It's 242. This is Jeff Wagner. 245, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. One of the few real successes on cable television now, the networks, is the Hallmark Channel. Up double digits last year, up 16% this year. This is unheard of. And they're number one among, uh, you know, women 25 to 54. It, it, it's formulaic. There's no question about it. They run all these different, they do on one Christmas movie after another that they make. They're all pretty much the same movie with, like, different people that are featured in it. My wife happens to love it. There's this piece in Slate. Oh, this is terrible. It's nothing but Caucasian cheer. We don't understand how people can watch this. Well, I think there's a lot of reasons why people can and do, and it's why some of these hardcore lefties just don't get it. Let's start with Jennifer in Cedarburg. Jennifer, hello. Hi. Are you a Hallmark Channel watcher? I actually am. Mm-hmm. And why, do, why, I mean, again, a lot of the movies are kind of the same, you know, same they sort of are. plots and stuff, but why do you like it so much? Most of them are just feel good, tis the season, yeah. to be happy and almost kind of mindless. They are all very similar in plot. But, you know, it's, it leaves you with a feel-good feeling after the shows. And if you, if you don't like that, then don't watch it. Um, yeah. I feel like this late article or posting is just going right along with what seems to be pretty prevalent these days is just finding something to complain about. Well, yeah, I mean, right. It, it's, it's, it's negative it's, and everything. Well, right. It, I mean, look, there, there's... In, you know, you, you turn on the news on a daily basis, and you're going to see a lot of bad stuff. What do we got going on in North Korea? Nobody can get along with anything. Russian investigations, all this stuff. The Hallmark Channel is sort of escapist fun. You can turn this on for a couple hours, and it's it's kind of mind, admittedly kind of mindless entertainment. You know it's all going to turn out well in the end, and it's kind of heartwarming and touching. I understand why people like it, and I guess I don't think there's anything wrong with people liking it. <laughs> No, and it's kind of nice for a change to have everything work out right. well in the end, even if it's just fantasy. It's, right. The mood oftentimes is just depressing, so yeah, I'd no. rather watch the Hallmark Channel. No, th- thanks. For, well, you're you're not alone. You're you're not alone. What drives me crazy though is that there's people who want to demean you. Oh, I can't believe that people would watch this. This is just like Caucasian cheer. Well, it okay. It, it's people that are looking for you know some feel good entertainment. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. Dawn in Delafield. Dawn, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Um, I'm just, I love the Hallmark Channel. It's, um, like you said with the last caller, it's enlightening. It um, gives you a really good feeling. But in the middle, there is tragedy and there is um, yeah. stuff that you have to sort of guess at. Well, well, right. Well, exactly. It's kind of like, okay, are they going to, well, you know, at the end that they're going to really get together or whatever. You know, it's going to work out well, but right. It kind of keeps your attention. Well, what, what's going to happen? Are they going to sell the, are they going to sell the theater? I was watching one like that the other night, you know, are are they going to make the Christmas show? Are they going to get together? You know, they will, but it's kind of fun to watch how they do it. 
Yeah, and I I record them all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I can't, and then I can get through the commercials. <laughs> uh, you, you know, it, it's we could be married, but Dawn, my my wife does the same thing. You know, <laughs> but 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 she but but again, it it's sort of this. Hey, you know, you've had a long day or whatever, and you just want to kind of relax and zone out. It, it's it's a fun sort of thing to do. Now, thanks to call. I mean, I guess it, it's just it's frustrating to me that you have. These people who are know-it-all that are going to mock this. Why? Well, I, I can't believe that anybody would watch this stuff. Well, I get it's why romance novels are popular. I mean, people like to read. It's kind of just escapist. It's sort of fun stuff. And and I will tell you, around Christmas time, people like it. They, Hallmark knows what they're doing. These are all Christmas type of themed themed sort of shows. So you know, it's set in these nice. Admittedly, maybe it's not like real life, but these places where it's snowing and it's kind of pretty, and they've got the Christmas lights. I get it. Linda in Oconomowoc. Linda, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff, and congratulations. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, I watch them. I think they're wonderful. I have a very, very stressful job, and when I come home at night, I like to (laughs) fix my dinner and sit down and watch something that's not going to have me real life in tears, like how many shootings there's been in Milwaukee and the suburbs, and I enjoy getting away from all that. I enjoy... Uh, right. Maybe it's something that isn't likely to happen in real life, but guess what? You know, there are a lot of times when things can happen in real life, sure. and I like being a part of that. Sure. You come home, you've had a stressful day, the last thing you want to do... Now, now some people thrive on, on turning on the talking head shows on Fox or MSNBC or whatever and right. listening to people yell at each other about the events of the day. I, that that's, that is floats some people's boats. But for other people, it's like, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. Just show me something that's, just show me something that's fun. And, you know, it, you know, and you know, it's going to be a happy ending. Let me just relax. There's nothing wrong with that at all, Linda. No. <laughs> and you either. There's nothing wrong with guys watching them either. Right. Well, it's, well. Thank. I mean, again, I, I I sit there and I will I will participate sometimes. And actually, it's, it's kind of funny because she'll say to me, "Well, you know, are you kind of bored with this?" And I'll kid her, "No, no. I I I, I want to see how they you know I want to see how they save the theater or whatever." And then she'll kind of look at me and that would and that look that I get from time to time. But I mean, but I understand. I mean, it, it's kind of fun sort of stuff. Uh, here's a text. Hello, my name is Donna, and I'm a Hallmark Movie Channel addict. I enjoy Hallmark movies because they are movies that are nicely done. They may have all very similar storylines, but it's nice to see these feel-good movies to take our minds off the terrible things happening in today's world. Right, and it's centered around Christmas. It's a wonderful – Hallmark has hit something. I mean, they, they've tapped into, I think – I think they've tapped into something that, that's out there. Now, this story is trying to make it about Trump. Well, you know, ever since the evil Trump took over, you know, I don't think it's that. I think it's just people like feel-good stuff. They like escapist stuff, and they're they're offering this. And, and yes, there is a formula. I get it, but but who cares? People people like it. Let's talk to Fred in Fond du Lac. Fred, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Well, hello. Uh- I'm glad that the, your last caller says even guys can watch it. <laughs> I've, been, I've been hooked on it for two years, and it's just like what you guys are saying. It, uh, when I come home from work, uh, it's just a, a way of just decompressing for a while. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm sorry, your, your cell phone was cutting out there, but yeah, I mean, it's uh, again, am I gonna am I gonna watch it 24 seven? No, I'm I'm not. But at the same time, I don't mind sitting around, you know, um, having a drink and watching it for a little while while I'm reading the paper or doing something. I mean, it's – and it is – you kind of get drawn in. I mean, 
<laughs> you know that you, you know that that Lassie is going to go find somebody to get Timmy out of the well. You know that it's going to turn out okay. But you know it is kind of funny, interesting to see. It's kind of like Columbo. You watch Columbo. You know that it, you know Columbo is going to figure out how they you know who killed the person and all. You know they're going to bring the person to justice. Here's a formula. But you watch it and and it's entertaining and people like it. Sean in Port Washington. Sean, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi. Hi, Sean. You a Hallmark Channel addict? Uh, I've become one. I'm <laughs> laid up. I had surgery, so I'm off of work for a while, and I can only watch so much of the news with all the negative leftist stuff going on without throwing something at my TV. And my wife printed out some Christmas movies for me, like Die Hard and Elf, but I came across Hallmark, and I thought, well, you know what? This is nice escapism. Yeah. Uh, it's got decent conservative values that I grew up with. And the reason I think they're so successful is there's more of us out there than people realize, which is another reason I think the current administration got in. It, well, yeah. So. And peop, no, thanks for calling. People are watching it. People are watching it. Um, here, I have a note here. Jeff, they're family-friendly. No swearing, no agendas, just family-friendly entertaining. Absolutely. That's part of the key. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out what John McCure has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around and... A giveaway coming up in just a minute to reward you for listening to the whole program.